Well, our next and final speaker uh, shared with us yesterday part of his dramatic story. Um, and I was thinking, you know, after David Ashrick demonstrated his amazing ability at skateboarding, uh, maybe our speaker could demonstrate his amazing ability by lifting that piano and carrying it across stage. <laughs> I suggested it to the workplace health and safety officer, and they nixed the idea. So that's disappointing. You thought I was going to have him do that, didn't you? Incredible. Well, aside from telling his story to people all over the world, Rome is a church planter and the senior pastor of a church in Armadale, New South Wales. Uh, please welcome back Pastor Rome Yulia. It's been a pick on Rome weekend. <laughs> you guys having a good time? Praise the Lord. Uh, my talk, I've entitled my talk today, The Prophecy Everybody Needs to Know. The Prophecy That Everybody Needs to Know. I spoke about my story yesterday, and if we um, pause and have a look at your own story, you look back and you look at your story, look at the experiences, the ups and downs, and you ask yourself, all those experiences tell you about you and what you've been through. What are your experiences saying? What are your, what's your story saying? You look back at the story of the world. And many scholars say that the story of the world, the history of the world, is a story of survival. I want to say something else here today. The story of the world. And what does it say? We know that the world started, many archaeologists believe that the civilization begins in a place called Mesopotamia, the lands between the two rivers, the river Euphrates and the river Tigris. And there, many scholars believe that the, the wheel was invented there. The use of money was first used here in this place called Samaria, later known as Babylon. The Bible talks about a person by the name of Nimrod finding this place called Babylon. And some scholars believe that this person is none other than Sargon the Arcadian. And it's here that you hear the story that's found in Genesis about the Tower of Babel. But next to Babylon, not far from there, Mount Ararat is also the place in which the Noah's Ark lands. And so it kind of goes hand in hand, the story of the Bible where Noah's son Ham would give birth to Cush and Cush would give birth to Nimrod, the person that would find this place in Sumeria. Later, this place would become the, the seat of religion and the Assyrians would always refer to Babylon as a place for many of their, the, the, the birthplace of many of their religious beliefs. And believe it or not, we still have today some holidays that we keep today that stretches all the way back to this period. And not far from Babylon, there's a, another growing empire known as uh, the Persians who rise with, um, with Cyrus. And during this period, you see Cyrus, God's people during this time, you got people like Nehemiah and you have uh, God's people who were in bondage to the Babylonians. 
And this man, Cyrus, would be seen as a type of Messiah. In the Hebrew scriptures, they speak of him as the anointed in the Masoretic text. Um, in the Septuagint, the Christ. And he's the one that releases uh, all the, the, Jew, the, the, the Jews to go back and rebuild uh, Jerusalem. And um, that will take a few other kings in order for that to, to come into to fulfillment. But also this man was a genius because so many people looked up to him because um, of his brilliance. Uh, we're told that Alexander the Great looked up to two people. Alex, Alexander looked up to Achilles and this person named Cyrus. Uh, some would say that the American Constitution is also founded on the laws that this man here established. You also have Alexander the Great that would later, because the Persians would come into contact with the West, and there's a, a, a time in history known as the Ionian uh, Revolt. And there in Ionia, many, which is modern-day Turkey, there are a lot of uh, Greeks living in that place. In fact, the birth of philosophy begins there in that area. A person by the name of Thales comes out of that area. And Alexander the Great, who would later come after the great wars between the Persians and the Greeks. You've got the, the Battle of Marathon, where the great race of Marathon is named after. Uh, the Battle of uh, Thermopylae and Salamis, and their last battle on Battle of Plataea. And there in the, the, the wars between them finished, but you see Philip II from Macedon coming with his son, Alexander the Great, to unite all of Greece. And Alexander's conquest of the East was not just the conquest of enslavement, or it was more of taking, he, he called it the, the, the light of Prometheus. His movement was like Prometheus, taking the light of Greece into the East. And during this time, a lot of the, um, a lot of the God's people understood Alexander to be a fulfillment of who Daniel was talking about. Alexander is also somebody that wasn't just courageous in battle, you also have to understand that Alexander the Great was highly educated. He was educated by the great Aristotle. And Aristotle was a student of the great Plato. And Plato was the great student, was a student of the great Socrates. And so you have Alexander the Great taking the, the Hellenistic way of life out to the East. And Alexander the Great would, um, would later pass away. His empire would later be fragmented into four. Uh, four factions. And then you've got like many of the teachings of um, many of the teachings of the Greeks. But there in the East, and so we have the, the Bible also being translated in both Hebrew and Greece. And the next empire to rise, you see Rome coming to the scene. But Rome, when Rome comes to the scene, it was a time when the roads were now developed and the Bible tells us that God would uh, bring about a time in which to bring the Christ and Jesus comes at the, at, at the right time. And so you have the, 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 the Christian mission beginning right there in Jerusalem and it makes its way out to, to Greece and then in Rome. And when it gets to Rome, some would say that it was repackaged there in Rome and distributed to the rest of the world. So there in Rome, you find uh, the church of Rome. 
beginning with this man behind me here, Constantine. And Constantine comes, at a, comes to the scene during a time when Rome had been split in two. And Constantine unites the empire to one empire, one emperor, one religion. Christianity is found, found its way into the Roman Empire. In fact, it, takes, it becomes the dominant religion in Rome. And some would say that it was a brilliant uh, political strategic move by Constantine to unite the people. But as the church there in, begins in Rome, they were challenged with many things, like Arianasium was one of them, that the church, the apostolic fathers had to deal with so many things. They just came out of persecution and so they had to deal also with some of the, 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 the many schisms as well. But not so far away, you see another empire on the rise, which is more of a, of a religion. In Medina, had, Medina had just converted to this new religion called Islam. And Muhammad has just taken over uh, Mecca. And you see the rise of Islam coming out in the east. They take over most of northern Africa and then they make their way into Spain, knocking at the door of France. On the other side, they take over most of Egypt and then through to Palestine and begin knocking at the door of the Byzantines. As this new movement begins to, to spread, the church takes center stage in Europe and a man by the name of Hasim al-Hakim, who was the caliph uh, of Egypt, burns down the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem in 1009, starting a war between the East and the West. Later on, a pope by the name of Pope Urban II would preach a sermon called Dus Levot, God wills it. And it would be the first of many crusades to come. But there you would have the the West coming in contact with many of the Muslim scholars. Now, the Muslim scholars had built, had already advanced. Uh, they made use of Socrates and the philosophies of Plato and the philosophies of, of Aristotle. And so they, there they had already uh, come up with zero, uh, the decimal point. They were already advanced. They had already experienced their Renaissance. I'll come back and touch on Renaissance. And so many of the, 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 the people of the West that came in contact with the Muslims would go back with these, with this new knowledge. And then you have the, the Renaissance is the French word for rebirth. The rebirth of what? The rebirth of Greco Roman way of thinking. And they would go back to study the Greek philosophies and literature, music and politics and science. And for centuries, the church dominated the minds of people in the West. Here you got the beginning of man taking now the center stage. And like Protagoras said, man is the measure of everything. And man now takes center stage. And then you've got like now the movement that comes out of, of Europe. And I'd like to say that two movements were coming out of Europe during this period. 
You've got the movement of the Renaissance that would later open the door to humanism. And you've got the other movement that would, would begin is the movement of the Reformation. Both movements decided that they wanted to think outside of the church. And those who believed in humanism believed that it was time for them to stop thinking about life in heaven, but start thinking about life here on earth. King Henry VIII had now pulled away from the Catholic Church. France, they go through a crisis, a financial crisis, in which they would later overthrow the monarchy in an event that's known in history as the French Revolution. It was a time where people were now beginning to rethink their faith and it opened the doors to uh, a revolution and the de-Christianization of France. Napoleon would come to the scene and would like, uh, attempted to take over the world, but Napoleon would be checked at Waterloo against uh, the British. But the age of reason would take the center stage at this time. People started to question and started to critique many of the, the belief systems that were out at the time, mainly the church. And out of the French Revolution came philosophers like Voltaire, David Hume, Immanuel Kant, scientists like Lamarck, who was a biologist and a zoologist, would lay the foundation for, for Charles Darwin, would lay the foundation for Charles Darwin and many others who would now come onto the, to the scene. Now, the rise of the Muslims would cut off trade routes going out to the east. And so the fall of Constantinople changed a lot of things in the west. And so many of them decided to discover new places, discover new worlds. And so many of the, the British, the French, the Dutch went out to the seas and things began to, to change. European globalization had begun. The Portuguese, the Spanish, the French, Dutch, British, the British ships took to the seas to discover new worlds, which led to the uh, enslavement of many of the natives of, of other countries, exploitations, military conquests, economic dominance of Europe and its colonies, and colonialism would come into the scene. And they, the use of water and wind would go out the door and steam power came in. I remember a time when the Germans, the British, and the Americans came to build a seaport over in the, in the islands, my island, uh, Samoa. And they came with these new ships, the steam ships. And the industrial revolution had begun opening the door to the modern era. The great modern thinkers of the West came to a time when they could no longer tolerate the idea of God. Christianity from a uh, Christianity from the moment it took center stage during the, during the medieval period had the perfect opportunity to display what Christianity was all about. But consumed by power and greed, the idea of God was, was kind of the, the representation of God was, was lost. They, they failed to represent him correctly. The church, people would later know the church for its wars the Crusades and the Inquisitions and the development of individualism, capitalism, urbanization, all of this came to the sense of socialism and this hope that we were going to move towards 
a utopia. And Friedrich Nietzsche was right when he said that in the 20th century, wars would take place and these wars would be on an unprecedented scale. World War I and II proved that. We lost more lives in World War I and II during the 20th century than all the other 19. But during World War I and II, the United States of America proved to, to be a world power to reckon with. The rise of the United States, some compared to the rise of Rome. Defeating the British to become independent, to the industrial development and exploitation of natural resources led to the rise of the US. In 1945, the US shocked the world when it dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, killing about 150,000 citizens of Japan. And recent studies, since 9-11, we're told Stockholm International Peace Research says that nine countries today possess nuclear weapons. The United States of America, Russia, China, France, Great Britain, Israel, India, Pakistan, and North Korea. That's a total of 16,300 nuclear weapons collectively. Enough to destroy the world with power left over. When answering online questions, Stephen Hawking says this, the human failing I would most like to correct is aggression. It may have had survival advantage in caveman days to get more food, territory, or partner with whom to reproduce, but now it threatens to destroy us all. A major nuclear war would likely end civilization and could wipe out the human race. When people were talking in 2012 about the Mayan prophecies saying that whether or not it's going to happen, well, regardless of whether it was going to happen in 2012, there are people that believe that we are going to bring an end to the world ourselves. They have this doomsday vote up in, not far from Norway, and it's funded by people, uh, Bill Gates and many other millionaires, Monsanto Corporation, Signeta Foundation, and the Rockefeller Foundation, even the government of Norway are looking to support this project. It's a seed bank. And what hope does humanity have? They're looking for ways in which we can save our planet. And should this world come to an end, we have a seed bank. You will all remember the event of 2001 that shook the world, 9-11. I remember when 9-11 happened, I thought it was the end of the world. America was under attack. And the person that they were after was the person by the name of Osama bin Laden, who they believed was responsible for it. The Bible talks about this lamb beast of Revelation 13. And it's lamb-like because this kingdom would appear to look as if it is about justice, peace, about bringing unity. 
America has been at the forefront of protecting democracy and bringing peace and, and justice. One question that people often ask me was, they, they would ask me, if God knew what the devil would do, why didn't God kill him from the very beginning? And the answer to that question is, God is a just God. God is a just God. And he would allow the devil to do what he's doing so that in the right time, God will set a judgment where everybody will see that God is truly just. When Osama bin Laden was accused of 9-11, we waited for America to bring him in to trial. And what we were told was he was killed and his body thrown off into the Indian Ocean. We never got the chance to see whether or not he was guilty for the crimes. Matthew chapter 24, verse 22, verse 20, chapter 24, verse 22 says, and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. What's the greatest prophecy that everybody needs to know? In the time of those kings, the kings that divided Rome, those kings are still here today. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it people be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. There is a time coming where Jesus will return and bring true justice. And I remember everybody looking to their television screen during the presidential campaigns because at first they were going for Barack Obama because they thought Barack Obama would bring about change. And mind you, the reason we look to America is because America is seen as the one at the forefront of this battle to bring about peace throughout the world. We've been looking in our history for ways in which we can bring peace. The city known as Jerusalem is, is known as a city of peace. It's not known peace. Today, many people who have a distaste for Christianity is because not that there is a lack of evidence to prove the existence of God, more so than the way Christianity has been portrayed in history. People look back and when they think of Christianity, they think of the Crusades, they think of the Inquisitions. The truth of God sits with those who have the light that came with Jesus. And they've had to struggle through the past centuries to keep that light burning. Today, the only hope we have is the hope in the second coming of Jesus Christ. All the prophecies that we were talking about this weekend all points to one event. There is coming a time where the record is going to be set straight. There is coming a time in which God will bring about peace. But God will in that time prove to each and every one of us when we look at Daniel chapter 2, 7, 8, 9, 12, we look at all the prophecies. It's a picture of how humans have tried. It's a story of how humans have tried. And even when trying to represent God, we have failed to represent God. Crucial that we represent God the way Jesus 
represented him. And only through Jesus can we represent God rightly. Thank you. Thank you so much.